to Aligned Mama Podcast. We're your hosts, Samantha Kapsick and Nikki Trout. And we're partnering up because we know motherhood is hard. Like really, really hard. (laughs) Really hard. (laughs) Get ready to equip yourself with practical tips and strategies to tackle daily trials, along with insights from expert guest speakers and relatable stories from other moms just like you. Join us weekly for advice, inspiring stories, and a supportive community of moms navigating the joys and challenges of motherhood together. Welcome back, mamas. Today we have a friend, Trishonda, and she is sharing her story on breaking generational cycles. Um, she is just a light in a radiating personality. Um, I had met her. She was Nikki's, been Nikki's friend for a really long time. Um, and we met at um, Nikki's husband's 40th birthday party yeah. and instantly just um, my husband, her husband, we just like connected and we were talking the whole night. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I just, you even invited them to the lake. That's how far it went. Yeah. Right? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which by the way, ladies, we still need to plan that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Good. But we hope that um I know that her story is going to inspire so many and just um maybe you can find yourself in her story and her past and just we hope that it gives you hope in knowing that um just because your past does not define you and there is always a brighter future. That's right. And before we get started, Trishonda, I just want to give a little background to how I know you. So Trishonda and I met, so her and Jack, her husband currently, they um, went to college together with my husband before I, I met was not going to college. Okay. Well, sorry. I, w- I was just there having a really good time. <laughs> yes. So yeah, my husband, they were like the three he's in the pod, right? So it was just him and Jack and you and Jack and you guys hung out. And and when I met you, I was very wild. And let's just put it that way. We've both, it's so amazing to like, see like how many years has it been Trishonda? I probably met you when I was 18 and I'm yeah, 20 years. I, yeah. 20? That sounds about right. Yeah. Right. So we were babies. Wow, you guys are old. Yeah. So you're so young. What are you like 35 again? 34? 33. <laughs> are you serious? Thing. She's a baby. Yeah. No, I would never go back. I would never go backwards to any year. So, right. (laughs) So we, um, yeah, it, it's, um, we've just had a very strong relationship. You and I hit it off just like you and Eric and Jack always were whatever. So, um, we've always had a relationship, very good one. She lives in Ohio. Sadly, I'm in Missouri. Um, but I will say, um, when Sadie's situation happened, she was the one person of all my friends that would get me to laugh. So her and Jack would make the trek to visit us. And sometimes it was probably like, Oh, you can't touch Sadie. She has no immune system. And I always remember at least two times. I remember being so excited that you're coming, but always when a guest would come like for the first 24 hours, I was like stiff. I was just like, I was going through so much. And, you know, even on the bell ringing people like, Oh, there you are again. But you always got it out of me every single time, like to just laugh until I cried. And I would, every time I was like, I just needed that so much. So you played such an amazing role there. And I'll save something else I was going to share about you and Jack until the end, because I want them to hear your story first. So wherever you want to kick it off, um, I just, I've cried so many times, like sitting next to her when, where she's been like sitting there perfectly fine. I've, I've read some of the things she's talked about, about her past. I've just heard her tell things and she almost is telling it like nonchalantly at this point. And I'm just like, literally how, 
how, but then so much more beautifully is like, and then look at you now. And so anyways, I'm so excited that you're going to share whatever it is that's on your heart to share. So go ahead. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, it's really hard to know where to start when it comes to like sharing my testimony, because it's, uh, I mean, it's not, people are always like, it's so unique and it's, it, you went through so much. And I'm like, I, I don't ever really want people to look at it that way. And I have like a little Bible verse next to my bed that I look at almost every day. Um, that's basically Paul admonishing people to not feel sorry for him because of his imprisonment. You know, it gave him the opportunity to do more for the gospel or to, to do more to spread Jesus's message to other people. And, you know, I feel the same way about my life. Like, you know, honestly, the really until I was getting married, I feel like the first 20 or so years of my life was like a prison in some ways. Um, I was mostly trapped by like shame from the trauma that, you know, I went through with, I don't know, every single turn of those first 20 years, there was some type of trauma to face and something to get over. And, and, um, but yeah, so I don't know, Nikki, I guess maybe the easiest thing is to kind of go chronologically. I think that always makes the most sense. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I grew up in Columbus mostly for the first mm, six years of my life, five, five, six years of my life. I was in Columbus in the, ghetto. <laughs> it was a very um high crime area um in my school uh I was pretty much the only white kid and I mean I'm not saying that like you know in a bad way but just because I stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> and I um at, you know with a name like Trishonda and you're coming into this community and like people like immediately wanted to judge me. Like they automatically knew like I'm your typical, you know, you don't belong here. Everybody was quick to tell me that. And uh, there was a girl in my kindergarten class and Nikki, you already know this. Like a lot of people out there don't know this, but I have a really good memory, especially long-term. And a lot of that, you know, a psychologist once told me stems from like all the chaos that was going on. It's like an imprints in your brain. And unfortunately, you know, especially the bad stuff, like it's really hard to purge it. She is very, yeah. very smart. One of the smartest people you'll be around. You are. Well, and you know, I used, I, I test myself sometimes, especially when I started to like work on my biography and everything, like my autobiography, I should say, when I started to work on that, I was like, is this real? Is this really what happened? And you know, like, um, certain people's names, addresses, like full street addresses, I go back, look, it is that house. Like, so, I, you know, I feel very confident in what I share for the, you know, for the most part, it's not just my perspective. Like these are things that really happen. Like, and I have enough uh, family members that have corroborated, like my biological family that I've touched base with, like, you know, later in life has been able to say, you know, uh, I can't believe you remember that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I remember it because my life was, you know, honestly, it was kind of hell. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, kindergarten is, you know, one of the earlier memories that I have. And I was already super duper smart. Like I had no choice but to learn really quickly and to learn how to adapt to my surroundings. Just, it was self-protective measures. Um, and I can explain a little bit more about that in a second. But so I'm always like thinking really quickly on my feet, like ever since I can remember. And my first day of school, I was late. 
And like on your desk, they have your name tags already there. You guys know what I'm talking about, like in big, like lined papers. And like your name is huge, you know, because so everybody can see it, especially the teacher. And I walk in and I'm not joking right now. My teacher's name was Mrs. Sheep. Okay. <laughs> my kindergarten teacher was named Mrs. Sheep. And I'm like, hmm. and I sat down and there was this girl in front of me and like her face, like her reaction was so funny. And she turned around and she was like, Trishanda, you ain't black. And I was like, I'm as black as I want to be. It's <laughs> like, literally, I mean, literally, I'm the only white kid there. And I'm like, I have got to like, let her know, like, no, I'm part of this. Don't right. single me out. <laughs> Leave me alone. And she just like, she didn't like speechless. And she just turned back around. Like, <laughs> Because people right away were like, this girl's crazy. Like, we don't, we, we don't want to mess with her. <laughs> so that was like one of my early memories. But you know, like, I'm like that person that always wants to strike first. Mm-hmm. Like sure. that survivalist, yeah. you know, like I want to, I want to take care of that, that situation before it can hurt me. Like I'm going to, right. Put the left hook in there first. So like, I don't know, during that time I was living with my mom. Um, I was in and out of foster care too here and there because she ran into issues with the law. She was struggling with addictions like alcohol, drugs. I mean, really anything that you can form like a negative habit with, she struggled with, you know, eating disorder issues, um, being very promiscuous. There were so many like different men around and, you know, like as a five-year-old, like at that point, it had already been happening for so many years that. I don't know, you know, in the moment, I didn't think anything of it. Like I figured most five-year-olds had to walk down to the corner convenience store and stock shelves to help take care of their family, you know, and I'm pushing my little preemie, you know, brother, who's like one year old or two year old at the time, right around there. And I'm pushing him in a stroller to come with me because I wanted to protect him. And I'm like, and then, you know, like my reward at the end of the day, like they did give us they did typically give us money, but they'd pay me in like food. Um, and it was this like beautiful Vietnamese couple. Like they were so kind to me and my brother. And I swear to you, like they made the like greatest egg rolls. <laughs> and like at the end of the day, like whatever didn't sell, you know, they would just send home with me and my brother. So, um, you know, that's kind of, I guess, gives you an idea of like, yeah. I, I was never really a child. I don't know. Right. And can you, if you feel like Sharon, can you pause and say like, you know, just talking about the generational cycle, um, how was your mom's childhood? Anything you want to touch on that? Oh yeah. And I don't want to go into too much on that because as I've like started to talk more about that, some members of that family, it upsets them. And I understand that it's not something to be proud of, but you know, at the same time, like I don't want to fully stifle these things because I just don't think that that's fair. I don't, these things happen in families all over the place. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I hope that they understand, but I'll, I'll never really try to go too far into my mom's story. Cause it was her story to tell, you know, and, right. and unfortunately she didn't get that chance, but I guess sometimes it just, I don't want your mom framed in a poor light either when knowing like she went through it really just difficult yeah. things too. And it's, again, that's kind of what God is opening my eyes to is like, it wasn't fair for her either, you know, and, and I'll never, I'll never fault her, her. Like, yeah. Yeah. Without even sharing any details yet as to her relationship with me as a mother, like without even going into details, I'll tell you right now up front, 
that I would never fault her for a single thing, nothing, because the background that she came from was a mirror, but worse, you know? And so when you hear me talking about things, she experienced these same things and shared some of them with me, but even, you know, in a worse way. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I still, I love her, you know, I love my, my biological mother with everything in me and, you know, I've already forgiven her and, but, you know, I mean, there was a lot to forgive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I guess moving on to, uh, you know, getting closer to the triumph, you know, maybe, um, you know, going through a rougher childhood, how does it impact you through your, you know, later grade school years or your um, middle school, right. high well, school years or wherever yeah, you want to take I'll, this. Yes. I'll give like the quick summary. So, I mean, I know obviously I'm starting there like in kindergarten. So up until like sixth grade, we were, or excuse me, six years old, we were in Columbus and then we started, like we moved out into the country. Like, um, I don't remember the exact circumstances of why. Well, no, I take that back. I do. Right before we moved, um, a friend of my mom's had come over to the house one night and they were all drinking and whatever. And she left with another friend to go get more alcohol. And while she was gone, her friend, you know, unfortunately he took advantage of me. He raped me. So, um, and here again, testing memory, the guy's name. How old were you? I was, I was five or six. Like I was right. Hey, I don't there. even think you it was told, told me that I, I know that things happen. I just, I've written about it. Yeah. I've written about it, but yeah, I don't That's like, crazy. and I spoke about it like in a church testimony, like where I was able to like present this story, I guess, to other people. But yeah, so she had left and that happened. And when she came back initially, like she did not want to believe me, but thankfully she did. And he did go to jail and, you know, I'm so thankful, like just to touch on this really fast. I'm so thankful that crimes of this nature are punished so much more severely because he he barely did two years in prison two years and I was you know I was five like he robbed me of like so many years of my life and even to this day like there is lingering issues for me when it comes to love and sex and you know the respect that revolves around those two ideas and how they come together like it's it is still a very big problem, you know? And you know, it's the saddest part is that rapists are the highest um, repetitive offenders, you oh, know, yeah. way more than it's like people get life for sex murder. crimes in general. Yeah. Sex yeah. crimes in general, what pedophilia, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, uh, molestation, like all of those things, they, unfortunately that's like 100% true. Right. And more often than not, it starts in their developmental years. Mm -hmm. And typically those people have also been abused, goes back to trauma, begets trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Generational idea. But yeah, I mean, so once that happened, thankfully uh, my mom decided just to get us out of there. So we ended up moving to a really tiny town. So we went from that situation to this tiny little country town with like 2000 people in it. (laughs) So, uh, Ooh, that was a shock. It was so bad. Like I had finally gotten to the point where I actually, you know, did have friends. I was respected in my community, in my neighborhood, like in that, you know, area as difficult as it was like, you know, I was, I was doing with what I had. Yeah. Um. So now to do this and to be like these, all these like country kids with like farms and families and they have dinner every night together. And I'm just like, Ooh, culture <laughs> shock. Right. It was so hard. Like, And all I really wanted 
with somebody to relate to. And there was just like nobody. Like there was nobody that had experience, you know, on top of the rape, like my mom was super abusive, like because of her addictions, like I was getting abused physically on a regular basis, you know, for anything, you know, and again, I'm still taking care of my little brother, you know, I was still doing, I was still mothering him. I was still trying to take care of my mom when she had issues. Like there was a couple of times that she overdosed and, you know, I called the ambulance to save her life. Yeah. You know, and, and what does she do? She comes back and kicks my ass because she didn't want to live, you know? Wow. And yeah, I got in trouble for that. Like, and I just remember, I'm like, I can't like, as much as I was doing it without her, there was this thing in my head that was like, I can't do this without her. Yeah. Right. right. Cause I, but right. I just, I really just, I was not a child. Like, mm-hmm. and I didn't reason like a child. I didn't learn like a child, like my IQ and all my teachers and stuff were just like, you are really brilliant. And I'm, and I didn't hear any of it. You know, I hid in books. (laughs) Yeah. You grew up way too quickly. Super fast. Yeah. But so we lived in that small little town and went back and forth between that town and ended up in another tiny town that was like outside of there, but just kind of like living this same situation. When we moved to Fort Laramie, uh, the guy that my mom was seeing at the time, we moved in with his um, mom temporarily. So she was kind of like a grandma to me. And then we moved to another town over with him and my mom, you know, her boyfriend. Um, but during that time, again, my mother was still struggling with addiction, was not fully engaged with me. And he also started to molest me. So like, it was not much after that, that rape had happened. And I'll be real honest with you. I think things happened prior to that rape, even because I was being put in situations that were just not safe. But I think there's a part of me that protects myself from that because it was just, I was so little, like, and I think that as much as I do remember, there are things like that. I'm like, did that happen? And I just don't even go there because I just don't want to, you know, honestly, right. Yeah. But so I was kind of dealing with that and my mother was abusive and trying to take care of my brother. And we're in these little towns with all these people that just seem so perfect. <laughs> and it was just so hard to make friends and, and, and find people willing. People just looked at me like, oh my gosh, all of her clothes have holes in them. And she's, she just, she has bruises on her and she just, well, her hair you, is messed you up. And talk like a little kid either. You were well yeah. above them at that point too. So just even like on a mental. Oh, I would read encyclopedias for fun. Right. Like, yeah, yeah I just, I wanted to learn and know everything because to me, knowledge was like the only power that I could gain that would help me protect myself. Like knowledge at that point was so powerful for me, you know? So I'm like, learn everything you can about everything always. And I still live like that. Like (laughs) I never take anything at face value. I'm like, wait a moment. Like I got to go do my own research, (laughs) but you know, so, um, when we were living in Rushi, like the, the sexual abuse was just, it was so bad because my, my mom was just, she was on a whole other level, like in terms of her alcohol and just everything. Like she, I don't know. Was she I, just, a, I don't. Was hmm, she, do you think she's aware of it? Like, did she know that it was happening or? Well, I think that's ultimately why what happened next happened. I tried to talk to her about it on, I can remember for sure two occasions and I got punished. 
like the one time, the first time I brought it up, she put me in a corner on my tiptoes with big, heavy books on each arm outstretched and my nose on a dot on the wall. And she stood behind me. And if my heels touched that ground, I got slapped with a switch on the backside. Like basically like, you know, switched. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That was like the first time I tried to tell her. The second time, I just don't think she was even coherent. Like, I don't think it sunk in. The third time I told her, she said nothing. She did nothing. She just, and at that point, like, she was in a different place the third time I tried to tell her when we were living in Rushi. Like, she was trying to to do better. She was actually reading the Bible that my grandpa had given her, which I have still, thankfully. Um, she was trying to find God. She was trying to make amends with her past. She was trying to forgive her family for the hell that they had put her through. Um, she was trying to build a relationship with me. Like we were actually bonding. We were really in a good place at that point. Like my mom and I were finally, I don't know. She was finally feeling like a mother. Like honestly, the first time that I can really remember, she felt like, like I thought a mother should. And it was the last day of August before I was supposed to start third grade Uh, at that same school, we were still living in Rushi and like that was an even smaller town than Fort Laramie. So I said there was like 2000 people in Fort Laramie. There was like 200 (laughs) and there was only like 25 kids in my whole grade. Okay. So imagine me coming in from big inner city Columbus. And then we lived in Fort Laramie for a year and then I'm in Rushi and I'm just like still just struggling like yeah. yeah, I definitely, I stood out. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. But anyway, so um, the day before we were supposed to start school uh, for third grade and I had my outfit picked out, like I had this absolutely beautiful white and it had like lacy crochet trim dress. Like I was so excited. My mom was going to let me borrow some of her makeup. And um, I decided that I was going to have a good year because, you know, yeah, second grade really sucked. So, <laughs> And um, that day, my mom was not feeling very well. We were supposed to go out for uh, lunch and we were going to Friendly's in Troy, uh, which we went to on special occasions now and then. And she did not want to go. But her boyfriend, you know, that was living with us at the time, brought my brother and I instead. And she stayed behind. And before we left, she had an odd request. The place that we had lived to prior, she had gotten into a fight with somebody that lived below us because it was like a duplex with upper and lower. And because of that, she bought a gun and they got into another fight, her and this lady that lived below us. And that lady came charging up the stairs and my mom shot the gun off into the distance to scare her, which it didn't. Um, but we ended up getting kicked out of that place is why we ultimately ended up moving to Rushi. Um, so the gun, of course, came with us and she said it was for self-protection. And she asked me that day, um, since she was going to be home alone, she told me to get her gun and put it on her nightstand. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Because the day before that, she had given her jewelry box to me like this. And I still have that. She had given this jewelry box to me. And it was just really weird to me because I'm like, why would you do that? Like, I was smart, right? You know, I'm 
I knew, I just knew like, why are you doing this? Like you are leaving. And I didn't, at the time, I don't think it clicked to me, like what was going to happen. Like I had this in my mind, like she was going to run away while Mm -hmm. we were gone and I was going to be there with him and Mm -hmm. and just me and him and my brother. Right. Like that's where my mind was. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And she slapped me across the face. I went and got her gun, you know, and put it on the nightstand and we left and, uh, we went out for lunch. We went to the park across the street, uh, behind the school and came back and I took to run. Like I kind of took off once we got in the house and took off to run upstairs and her boyfriend just kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, go sit down, leave her alone. I'll, I'll go up there, uh, check on her and. Uh, he went up there and came back down and his face was just like ghost white. And mm-hmm. he looked, he looked really upset. He sent my brother and I next door to uh, Florence and Bob's house. That was our neighbors at the time. And they had an older daughter. She's probably like 13 or 14. Her name was Katie. And she was just really sweet to us. Like she always tried to help us out. But uh, so we had to sit over there and like nobody even told me. Mm. I I knew though. That's the thing. I knew exactly what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I have the records of her death certificate, my adoption papers, like because we'll get to that in a second. But you yeah. know, I she died from a gunshot wound to the chest. And did some that, years later, did that mess with you at all that she made you get the gun? Does does that add any element to it or no? Like absolutely. as a young kid. I oh, know. absolutely. See, that, that's so unfair. Absolutely. Yeah. It took, it took many years of therapy for me to, yeah. to realize that it, it was, it was not, not on you. Yeah. That I have no uh, responsibility in it. Yeah. Oh. Um, but you know, they didn't even let me go to her funeral. My like my, my mom's boyfriend's mom decided that it would be too much for me to handle. So I didn't get to do that. What do you say? Great- what do you say for anyone that has a young kid that parents did die? Do not deny them yeah. the right to say goodbye. Nobody mm-hmm. should be denied that. Nobody. Mm-hmm. I don't care who it is. Nobody should be denied the right to go through that part of the mourning process. Like, yeah. I think that made it worse. Yeah. Honestly, like, even though I knew she was gone and again, I'm a smart, I was a smart kid. Like I knew exactly yeah. what was going on. Mm-hmm. I also, I thought that I was going to be left there with him mm-hmm. and but he I was not the know. bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I, and, and to go back to the fact that my mother and I were bonding and I tried mm-hmm. to tell her what was going on again. Right. I'll be real honest with you. I think that's what pushed her over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, she had notebooks and journals, all kinds of like personal effects that he ended up with. I was so bitter because he put him in a storage locker and then we'll get to this in a second, but he ended up losing it all. You know, like in one of those auctions or whatever, like it got repoed and yeah, like my baby books, like everything that was my mother's it was just gone. Like they gave it to him. I'm like, why did it not go to her family? But they weren't married, you know, anyway. So she passed away and then I got shipped off at that point, which I was actually glad for, I thought. Um, But it was better. I'll be honest. It was better than where I was because my stepmom who was there, like I got 
sent to live with my biological father. Like I had seen my biological father like three times pretty much in my childhood while I was dealing with my mother's situation. And in all fairness, like he had his own healing to do. He was struggling with alcoholism. He was in sobriety. And I don't know if maybe being around her and me like made that hard for him to make. That's my guess. Like I've never really had to have this, had the chance to have this conversation with him. Um, he's still not a part of my life by choice because I feel like being in my life is a privilege. And, you know, that year or so that I lived with him, uh, it wasn't good. Like he was very verbally, emotionally, and sometimes physically abusive to me. Uh, and here I am trying to deal with the repercussions of losing my mother by suicide, being separated from my little brother, who I felt like I was his sworn protector, knowing that he's now with the man who had been molesting me for the last two years. And just, and now here I am with you and I'm hoping for something better. And here you are ruining my trust and my ruining me also, you know, I can't imagine how you process any of that and how you didn't (laughs) process some of that as a child. I'm sure you had to separate that, but then I don't know where I was going with that. It's just, I just can't imagine living through your situation. Did you, is, did you know that you live differently than other people? Now, honestly, there's obviously there's a lot of people that go through trauma, but did you like see other kids and realize your life was different? Were you, was that apparent? I feel like, especially because I had like the sweetest friend in Columbus, I still know her name and I've looked her up on Facebook and thought about reaching out to her. And I like, she'd be like, you should. Yeah. Mm. Well, hi, Natasha. If you're out there and you see this, <laughs> I'm going to go her last, for you. <laughs> I'm serious though. Like she, oh my gosh, like her, I, I remember her parents' names, Tanya. And I think it was her stepdad, Steve. She had this room. She had every single Barbie ever. Like, and they were in boxes still. And I'm like, why are you not playing? <laughs> I remember walking in there like, why are you not playing with me? <laughs> but she was in pageants. Like she had trophies and she was beautiful. And just, she was my, she was like my normal. Like she's my little bit of normal. And I got to have sleepovers with her. And I don't know if she really knew what my life, like, I don't know if she knew. Because I don't remember, I I refused to open up to anybody then. Like, I didn't know how to, you know, adult, child, it didn't matter. Even my caseworker, because I did have a CPS caseworker through this, um, Rose. I know her name, Rose Tackett. Well, you were, you were kind of <laughs> trained that when you opened up, you would get disciplined, right? Yeah, or, or somebody would just, like, use me. Or somebody would, like, ruin me again, like, break me, you know, over and over and over again. Like, every time I tried to, like, be like, you're the person that's going to help me now. and it never panned out, you know, even teachers and stuff. It was like, then at some point I felt like they would be like, there's no way like any of this, that you're the little bit that I would, this isn't true. Like a lot of it got blowed off, like for sure. Principles, like anyway, so like she was my, like my one norm. And I remember thinking to myself, like, does she have things that are happening to me happen to her? And like, it just, nobody knows. Like, and I remember thinking that about other kids too. Like, instead of thinking, oh, they all have normal lives and I don't, I remember thinking like, I wonder if that happens to, to him. Like, I wonder if he does, if he gets hit by his dad, you know? So I'm not sure. Like my mind never really knew how to, I guess I expected the unexpected for everyone. How's that? Well, you didn't know what normal was. How could you have? 
you know? Yeah. I did. Yeah. I didn't have a clue. Like, and when I did go to friends places and like saw how they did things and I was like, I want this so bad. Like, oh my gosh. Like, so my dad really didn't have a great relationship with me. He had a wife at the time, my stepmom, and then like her younger daughter, like we had a great relationship. We're still in touch, like intermittently now, you know, we're not close to like, just, I'm not that person really even at all. Like, it's kind of weird. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking about somebody else when I, when I talk about this. Um, but yeah, so while I was living with him, with my dad, um, I would still go see my brother and that guy because I wanted to know that my brother was okay. And regardless of what I was exposing myself to, I had to do it. You know what I mean? Like, so it didn't matter. But ultimately, while staying with my dad over the course of that summer, he decided to send me back to Larmy to stay with my mom's boyfriend's mom. Okay. And while I was staying there, they had, she had a family that lived next door to her whose daughter was like six months older than me. So like over the time that I lived in Fort Laramie, we played together on and off when I would go to my grandma's house, right? So my mom's boyfriend's mom. So I called her grandma. When I went to her house, you know, Abigail was the daughter's name. Like we got to spend time together. She had me for a sleepover. Um, the first time they had me over, I didn't really say this because it fits in now, but I was like four years old, (laughs) four or five. And I, and I only remember little bits of this, but I remember Abigail had this like really long snake or caterpillar thing. And it was like hanging up over the door in her room and everybody's freaking out about it. Like, cause the shadow like looks scary, but she had a, my little pony nightgown that glowed in the dark. And she ultimately actually like, let me wear that. <laughs> it's like a really, I know it's yeah. a really big deal. Right. Um, but you know, I was like four or five and I actually told her parents that I wish they were my mommy and daddy because I could not imagine like a more perfect family, you know, like they laughed and had fun together. And there was like all these, like just these things, like you could see that they were all just so tightly knitted together. And I had never experienced that with anybody. Mm-hmm. nobody you know and at that point I'm like nine years old so anyway that was like four or five that I told them that nine years old I'm back in that same area and hanging out with their daughter well my grandma that I was staying with she was really tight on money because you know she was on a fixed income her husband um had had another stroke like he wasn't very very well so she was okay with me staying kind of for longer stretches of time with the other family and of course, you know me, I'm like, oh, so good. <laughs> so uh, that summer while I was staying with her, she sent me over there. And then I was there for like a couple of weeks, you know, and I think it was a money issue is what she was telling them. They didn't care because ultimately they asked me how I felt about becoming their daughter. Wow. So it's my mom, boyfriend's mom's next door neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, God, anybody <laughs> like, is there anybody else that could have done that? Like, wow. you know, as a person of faith now, I'm like, there's just no other way. Like, yeah. it's like random. It's coincidence. And I'm like, no. And yeah. when I was older, like my mom, my, my adopted mom, Michelle, like 
she told me that from that moment, like she never stopped praying for me. She said, I prayed for you every single day, like Samuel, right? For this child. I have prayed day and night. Like like, that was my mom. I mean, she did. And she still does. My mom prays for every single one of her kids every Mm -hmm. single day. I feel, you know, I think that there's like no other, I don't think there's any stronger power than a mother's prayer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. God right. hears those, right, Nikki? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Sam, right. Sam, yeah. I know you guys know, like he, yes. I just don't think there's hardly any more powerful tools mm-hmm. than a mother's prayer. Right. And so, yeah, they asked me like, do you want to be our daughter? And, <laughs> you know, later down the road, my brother Neil's going to laugh because I tell people this all the time, because before they asked me, they did ask all the other kids in the family, like, how do you guys feel mm-hmm. about this? And they didn't share a lot of my situation, you know, as far yeah, as like right. abuse or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But <laughs> everybody else said yes, except for my brother Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so you give him crap about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so much. <laughs> and I love him. I love him immensely and he loves me. But yeah, I, I tease him sometimes like, remember, you're the one that didn't want me. So, <laughs> um, how do that's you, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> it? That's really funny now. So she has like a uh, big brother now. He's big brother, right? right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So was there any times where you like, it was like Christmas and you got these things. Was there like any moments you're like, Whoa, like, was that a hard, Oh, it was right away. It was right away because before they even asked me, I went to a family wedding with them. And again, my clothing situation was dire. (laughs) It was bad. Like everything had holes. I didn't have stuff that fit right. Like my, my feet barely fit in my shoes. So they got me like, you guys remember the little patent leather shoes with the bows on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got a pair of black, shiny patent leather shoes with bows on them. And, and I got to wear uh, one of Abigail's dresses and (laughs) Abigail told me out of the back, she's like, cause they didn't get a lot of stuff new consistently you know it was a lot of hand-me-downs because they had a they had family of four already like yeah. you know and right. so she she was kind of mad <laughs> that I got a new pair of shoes <laughs> but you know I can um, imagine that coming from a young little girl. I was yeah. like wow Honest. I just could I couldn't believe it like I could not believe that they bought me a new pair of shoes uh I don't know if I had ever you know, of course, while I was living with my dad, I did, I, I got one big shopping trip right before I started school that year. So that was kind of like one of those experiences, but this was, I don't know, this was just different because I just, I feel like your parents, like you feel like they have to take care of me, but like when somebody who, you know, they really weren't my parents yet. And it's like, they went out of their way, like mm-hmm. to yeah. provide, right? you know, Amazing. it was really touching, yeah. but so yeah, I got to go to a family wedding with them and 150 of their family, like closest family members, like cousins, aunts, uncles, like my dad is one of 13. So you can imagine this experience of somebody with no family Mm -hmm. and you go here and now these people are like, do you want to be our kid? And I'm just like, it was like, it was like a dream come true. Like it was, it was unbelievable. It was so Cinderella story. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And it wasn't though. Cause you know, like I was saying that trauma like holds on so tightly, like, Mm -hmm. So when I was adopted, like I was still seeing my brother and that guy. So I never was able to get out of that situation while living with my dad. And now I'm, you know, my adoption wasn't finalized yet or anything, but after my last visit to see him, I told my mom, I told Michelle what was happening and she immediately dropped everything and got the ball rolling to take care of the situation. What did that make you feel? It made me feel like I finally 
like I finally had somebody that would actually protect me that would actually let me have like let me feel like I was okay that I was going not more than that not just okay in the moment but like that I was going to be okay after everything that had happened and that even in the future I was going to be okay like and somebody actually believed you mm-hmm. yes yet yeah, somebody finally listened like mm-hmm. somebody did something like it should not be that hard a child should not have to go through something like that for like two or three, sorry, two or three years and, and just not have anybody listen. You're so strong. You're, you're saying all of this stuff and I just don't know how you don't sob through it and all of these things. And now you're going to get to this, but being a mom of three, I just can't imagine how you wrap your mind around any of this and you do it with such strength. And I know it's not easy. I, I know. Um, but anyways, you can proceed. I just, I'm in awe of you. I know you are now too. I was like, wait till you hear her story. I feel bad. Cause like, it's your guys podcast and you're not talking at all. Well, you are going to help going. You are going to help. Who knows how many women this, the thing that we have been, and especially myself, I feel like I've been exposed to more lately is I had a very good childhood and maybe women, not as many had your childhood, such extreme, but there was a something, there was a big trauma, something that happened. And the more I just am talking to women. So again, I think it's just good to hear again, what you're going to share is, you know, breaking the cycle and and whatnot, but I don't think it's that rare to have a trauma. I mean, of course your, yours takes the case and cake in a lot of situations, but again, just to hear um, what you're gonna share. But I I I can never emphasize it. I can never emphasize enough that what I was saying earlier about Paul. Again, I just have to. I have to say it again. God does not stand by us and walk with us through those situations, through those traumas, for nothing. It is not in vain. Suffering. And going through, even if it seems like something small, you know, trauma and struggle from one person to the next is different. And what our tolerance, like what tolerance we have for trauma is different. God gives us exactly what we need when we need it to handle it. It's up to us to come into that understanding of how does this work? But that is not in vain. He does that so that you can take the very worst parts of your life and use them to make a difference for somebody else. Like that to me is the core of every single person's purpose, your real purpose. You know, it's not to live a beautiful, shiny life with everything you want and, and life is so perfect. And yeah, it's not that it's, that's not the goal at all. It is not, it is to take the hardest things, the worst, most difficult things that you go through and use them for something better. And I fully believe, you know, my mom's suicide, that was a blessing. Like people sometimes are shocked when I say that. There is no way that I would have been adopted and had the life that I had, had she not done that. Most likely I would have ended up dead. I believe that. And I think my mom, I I think that she believed me when I told her about the abuse situation that was happening. And I think there was two parts. I think that she could not handle that she allowed the same thing to happen to me that she went through. 
And I think the other thing was she couldn't see the way out of it. She felt like she didn't have the resources mentally, emotionally, financially, you name it, that she did not have what she needed to get me out of it. And I think the only, I think the only solution she saw was to eliminate herself from that situation altogether. And that I know this is crazy. Like later in life, when I was going through religious education, somebody had the nerve to tell me that when you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. There's no There's so forgiveness many people for that. that. Say that, and it's There's just no not biblical. And I said, "Excuse me, are we in the Old Testament still?" I mean, nobody commits suicide in their right mind. There is some very deep level of illness going on there if you choose to take your own life. And so for anybody to say that that's immediate and total damnation or no, sorry, refuse to believe that. Absolutely not. Because I don't think that her intentions were selfish. And I don't think anybody who is in that position as selfish as the action seems. I don't think that's their intention. And I can't. I can speak on this to some degree and I'll get to that in a second too. Um, but I forgot where we were exactly well, right she, before that. She gave, I was going to say that earlier. It's like, you know, you can look at it and be like, how could you allow this? But then ultimately she gave the, she sacrificed her, sacrificed herself for you to give you that better life. And it's like the exactly. most selfless thing. Well, and as a result, you know, being adopted into that family and now this family is actually going to protect me. But, you know, like what came after that was so hard. Like, you know, because you're like, oh, yay, you got your family and now it's great. But it wasn't because now all of a sudden I was living like an adult. I've got to figure out how to be a kid who is subordinate to real parents that have real rules. And here I am just still trying to like, like, who the hell am I? Like, I was so caught up in trying to survive day to day. Like, I don't even know what I'm interested in. I know nothing about myself. Like, I had never really played a sport. You know, I, I was, I in some ways, it was like I was born again at that point. And you let me tell you. Trust issues, too. With them. Oh, gosh. With anybody. A friend, a family. It didn't matter. Anybody. I, I didn't want to trust anybody. You, there, there's no doubt about that. But... Yeah. I mean, at that point, like I was in counseling, you know, to help me deal with some of the grief and, uh, oh my gosh, my mom had an occupational counselor actually at her work named Bob and he helped me so much because you guys know how hard it is to become an adult, right? You know how hard it is when like life slaps you upside the head and it's like, Hey, stupid, you're responsible now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it feels like that a lot. I get that. Like, on a regular basis. Teen mom, you know? so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, so imagine how hard that is, but imagine trying to reverse out of it. <laughs> it's and hard enough when you're young finding yourself. Let's just be honest. If you have a picture perfect childhood, finding yourself trying yeah. to fit in on all those things I can't imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now here I am, like I have to be a kid. And Yeah, I did not want to be a kid. And then, you know, on top of that, I got into this, like, again, dealing with issues of promiscuity, right? I mean, because to me, sex was not valuable. Like anything about sex, there was no value on it because it, it, 
it just right. Come on, I don't even. Need it was to taken from you. You. It wasn't sacred. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And also, there's a lot of women. Um, I have a close family member that went through sexual abuse for years as her childhood, and then it's like when you don't get that, it's almost like she needed that, even though she was too young and exposed to that. So then she went seeking for it because. I guess comfort. I don't, you know, that, that weird, it's but trauma what, does it's what she knew. Brain. Yeah. But it's what she knew. It's, it's, it's how she understood to express intimacy, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, like being taken advantage of does something to your brain when it, when it comes to sex, like even if it's only in a little way that your, your willpower, your ability to control the situation is taken from you. It, it really, it messes you up. Like, there's no other way to say it. People joke all the time about daddy issues, but it's a real thing. It really is. But yeah, the trust, the the trust thing, you know, you're absolutely right. Like to build and form real, meaningful relationships, friendships. I struggle with it to this day. Like I'm an open book and I will openly share like anything about me with other people. But with respect to actually thinking that somebody cares or wants to be engaged with me, on a deeper level, I I really don't. Well, I you do know, come I to just... the lake with me. <laughs> 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 no, I, I I would love to do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, so it was great that my 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 adopted family they took care of that situation with with that man. Uh, unfortunately, it did mean that I didn't get to see my brother much. I did get to see him on a few other occasions because his grandma was keeping him. So he was literally still living next door, but she resented me obviously for putting her son in jail, you know? Um, and so I hated that that was separated from me, but at the end of the day, it really was for the best because I mean, he literally had the same name as his dad, literally. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't realize that he was the father um, of your brother. Are you in contact with your brother now? No, no. Uh, the last time we talked, um, I was asking him if he remembered something very specific that had to do with the abuse that I endured. And he kind of went off on me and basically told me that it was my fault that everything in his life kind of fell apart and that his dad lost everything. And like, he really flipped it over on me and made me feel like scum. And I just, I told him, I cannot believe that you're going to defend him. Um, and I can't talk to him anymore because of that. Like, which may, it's makes me so sad. Like he went to my wedding, like, um, and I, I love him very much. So I promise you that, like, I don't harbor any ill will towards him. He's just confused. Maybe he's hanging on to the only other thing he has. But the fact that you had to go through like the protective mom role all those years and then just hear that, (laughs) I'm sure I can't imagine how much that hurt. It it was to the depth of his trauma. I'm sure that his childhood wasn't easy. And so most people play the blame card a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely true. So thankfully that situation was taken care of, but yeah, on top of it, like just dealing a lot with, uh, what they thought was depression and eating, eating disorder, basically like not eating at all for days at a time, but it was just trying to assert control, you know, with, re- with respect to being promiscuous, with respect to, um, the eating disorder, it was just trying to feel like I was in control of something in my life. Finally, you know, looking back on it now, then I didn't know that. Then I'm just like, 
to everybody. I'm just like, I know what's best. I'm going to do whatever I want. Go to hell. We should do a <laughs> podcast intervention for those not, you can't see the video. She, she just gave the middle finger. She flipped the bird. Uh, <laughs> it was the former her, but that's okay. Yeah, that's absolutely. I'm sorry. We're getting real. It's true. Like, well, it, and it's, it is true. And I still, there's still a part of me that's like that to this day. And I don't know that that's something I can ever change. And I don't know that I want to, because it's that form, that formidable side of me. That's like, you know what? There's nothing. There is nothing that the world or anybody can do to me that I can't handle. Like, so I know that probably sounds cocky, but no, I think, I, that's, mean, I think though that kind of like brings it back to Paul. Um, people will say like, how could he have gone through all that and had that his heart? But w- you look at his life before as saw, and he was literally killing Christians, tormenting them. And I think had he not been able, or had he not done that, I don't think he would have been able to go through what he went through. But I think that that gu- guilt in that, you know, what he had done, maybe not guilt, maybe God took that guilt away from him, but what he had gone through and like witness and like him doing that with that heart change, I think that allowed him to be able to take the beatings and to take the shipwreck and the prison and all those things because he had the capacity for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's very well said, Sam. I can't agree more with that. Absolutely. I hear your dog. <laughs> I try to, I try to mute us. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> Um, I know I'm going to run out of time, so I'm just going to, I have a good stopping point at least. Does that help? Sure. (laughs) So, you know, that's like the first kind of half of my life. If you want to kind of divide it that way, like, and which is funny because I'm almost 40. (laughs) So I consider the first 15 years of my life, like the first half of my life. Okay. (laughs) But you know, so at 15, like this, this, literally like everything was hard at that point but the absolute hardest thing that I have ever gone through and that I have went through to date um because of all the mental illness that I was struggling with and the depression I was seeing a psychologist and she put me on an antidepressant she put me on Prozac and not long after that I tried to kill myself Yeah. So I, and it, the craziest thing was, is that I tried to do it the night that I had had, like one of the best nights I could remember ever having in my life. Wow. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, number one, uh, chemically speaking, Prozac was a very bad choice for me because mm-hmm. it later turned out I wasn't just depressed. I actually was diagnosed with bipolar manic depression. So if you give antidepressants to people who are bipolar, especially if their mania is like the bigger battle that they fight, it really is not good. Okay. I didn't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I basically came home from a basketball game that I had been at. Um, I was a freshman in high school and I kissed a really cute boy that I had a huge crush on. And I kissed him out in front of the school under the flagpole. I mean, it was like something out of a movie. And then I came home and everybody went to bed and I went downstairs in the kitchen and sat down with a bottle of Tylenol and a glass of water and just started taking Tylenol two at a time, Mm. like a robot. And I don't know, I don't really remember, honestly, how many they said I took. Like I took a lot. It was a brand new Mm. bottle and I took a lot of Tylenol and um, I went back upstairs and I laid down in bed. 
I'm like, I'm done. Hmm. That's hard. Were you feeling sad? Like, you know, you said you had this, the best night and it was like a movie. I felt like I didn't deserve it. Okay. I felt like I got this glimpse of what a beautiful life looks like. Mm-hmm. And I was so ugly and so destroyed. Mm-hmm. It was not for me. Mm-hmm. It was not meant for me. That was not, that was not a life for me. Do we need to do a part two? I think that's a good stopping point because yeah. it really is like the turning point. Okay. Right. So okay. awesome. So, well, thank okay. you. Well, have a good Tuesday. I'm going to hug you. Yeah. I love I you know, girls. Love you. Yeah. Aw, you're way too kind. Thanks for listening to another Line Mama podcast. We hope you found value in today's topic. For more mama resources, go to alignedmamas.com, follow us on social, and join our Aligned Mamas community Facebook group to connect with other moms just like you. We'd like to hear from you. Have a podcast topic? Want to get in touch with us? Want to share your story as a guest? Email us at alignedmamas at gmail.com. See you next time. I can see through my feelings now. I can see clear through my mind. And the secrets to shut my eyes.